Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew 6? And part of this life of faith is listening to the words of our Lord. And these words are actually the word, some of the words that he spoke while he lived out his life on planet Earth a long time ago. Aren't you thankful that words like these have been recorded for us? We are really wrapping up the series on the Lord's Prayer today, and the portion before us is not officially a part of the Lord's Prayer, but it's tucked into the same section, and this is something that I do think is part of uh, this important teaching that our Lord is giving us. So if you're saying, wait a second, this, this is not a part that we repeat when we say the Lord's Prayer or use it, I know that, but it goes with it. And I think there's some really important truths here. So this is under the larger heading, Lord, teach us to pray, which was the disciples' request. But now we come to some words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 16, where he says to us, when you fast, and then he fills in some of the details for us. So I want to read Matthew 6, verses 16 through uh, 18 here for us, and you follow along, please, as I read. Our Lord says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together again. Father, we open your word, and we do so with great joy and expectation. Thank you, first of all, for the great treasure that it is. There is no other word like this in all the earth. This is a living word. It is the God-breathed word, and because it is your word, it carries with it authority and weight. It carries with it life uh, that sustains us and wisdom that directs us. And we ask, Father, as we seek to know your word and honor it in our souls, that you would illuminate our minds that we might fully understand it, that you would make our hearts tender and submissive, that we would receive it in all faith. And would you activate our wills today that we would determine by your grace to obey it. Oh, Father, we are in need of your voice in our hearts, in our midst today, and we ask that in your great kindness again, you would be present, instructing us and leading us for your name's sake. Father, we rejoice that you have sent your Son into the world. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are God, the creator of all that is, and yet you showed such great humility to enter the world, becoming what we are, in order that you might deliver us from our sins from our wickedness, and you have done it all for us. Thank you for your life of perfect obedience. Thank you for your death on the cross that really has paid for all of our sins. Thank you for the mighty resurrection and for your glorious ascension, and we long to see you face to face as we were singing just a moment ago, and if this is not the day of your return, then we pray that you would give us grace to live faithfully with that hope and expectation that others around us may come to understand the goodness of this news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, Spirit of God, you have been sent into our hearts. 
not been left as orphans and how thankful we are for your presence. So come now, Holy Spirit. Convict us of sin. Convince us that you are the living God. Persuade us again that there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things in your glorious name. Amen. The human appetite is quite remarkable. You don't think about it very often, you know, actively, you know, the, the way you might in a class uh, or a science lab, but it's always there. And whereas hunger is a need for food, appetite is actually a desire for food. And you've been created by God with actually multiple appetites. We're talking specifically about the appetite for food. And while you may think that your stomach is calling the shots and in charge of, of this whole production, it's actually more complicated than that. Your appetite actually seems to be located centrally uh, in your mind. Your brain actually controls all of these hormones and neurochemicals, and there are psychological and even some spiritual factors that play into our appetites broadly speaking. One resource I looked at this week notes that appetite serves to regulate adequate energy intake to maintain metabolic needs. It's regulated by a close interplay between the digestive tract, adipose tissue, that's a polite way of saying fat in your body, and the brain. Appetite has a relationship with every individual's behavior. Appetite of behavior is the only process that involves energy intake, whereas all other behaviors related to the human body affect the release of energy. And, and the article goes on from there. That's, that's just a little sampling. Energy intake, it's vital to your life. And not only are appetites fed, but you know, they can also be developed. That's why parents try to teach their children to appreciate a variety of foods. If it were left up to some of your kids, they would eat hot dogs and macaroni and cheese every day for the rest of their lives. Well, they need to be trained that while those may be legitimate options, at some points there really is a whole world of food and flavors and nutritional value that they need to come to appreciate and develop an appetite for it. Appetites can be suppressed. Appetites can even be lost. And the loss of uh, or lack of appetite is very often a signal that something is wrong. It may be of a physiological order where there is a sickness or illness that needs to be addressed quickly. Or it may even be a psychological or emotional disorder, a spiritual disorder that also needs to be addressed before the appetite will return. Marvelously, God has created all of us with appetites that are both spiritual and physical in nature. And much like our physical appetites, our spiritual appetites have to be controlled and cultivated. And that's just a little very brief list that's suggestive of some of the kinds of, of things we have appetites for. And though with a sermon on fasting, as you might expect, it's easy to limit it just in terms of what you eat or what you drink. There actually are uh, truths and realities that exceed our food and drink even in the realm of fasting. All of it is tied back to appetites. You know, God knows you, in one sense, are a world of appetites in and of yourself. 
And in his wisdom and in his kindness, he's the one who put it all together. He created you with appetites for relationship and fellowship, for emotional and physical intimacy, for knowledge and learning. Those are good gifts from him. But as with any good gift that comes from the creator, it can actually become an idol of the heart where we worship that thing and we pursue it to the exclusion of our God. And I think one of the realities in the practice of fasting is that it is an opportunity for us by faith to say to our God, you are everything. And whether it be my food or drink or some form of recreation or some legitimate pleasure that he has offered to me uh, or even good gifts like media when they're used in the right way, we lay those things aside and we pursue him. Fasting, to give you a working definition, is the alteration of normal life routines. I think it includes, obviously, eating sparingly or abstaining from food completely in order to devote time, attention, and energy to a spiritual concern. That's a pretty big definition And I've wrestled with that and borrowed little pieces here and there. It's not original with me, really, in one sense, but that's kind of the distillation of some of the truths that I see being uh, put before us through the Scriptures. It's some of the reality of what uh, our own experience demonstrates to us. And so as we come to this passage today, this is a small piece of that, remember, that larger context where we're saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And as you work through the Lord's Prayer He, Jesus himself, teaches us to pray first and foremost for the glory of God. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Life really is centered on him, and fasting can become a really helpful uh, expression of our devotion and a practice of Christian discipline. Now, let's work through uh, this little brief passage in its context. And I want you to see, first of all, I I think there's an expectation being communicated here for the followers of Jesus, not a command. I say that because the only time fasting is commanded is way back in the Old Testament related to the Day of Atonement. It was a specific command given to Israel as a nation after they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt. That's the only time it's commanded. Well, we know that the, the, the Day of Atonement, that particular thing that was being celebrated, was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So that's one of the reasons that it seems to be there aren't clear commands after that showing us that, you know, in the same way that God commands us to pray, for instance, or the way that God commands us to give, does this fit into that same category? Well, I, no. But... In the context in which Jesus speaks these words, it's the third example of what seemed to be a little grouping of ordinary expressions of our faith. Look back at verse 2. Jesus says, when you give to the needy. And then you come to verse 5, when you pray. And we see the same terminology, the same kind of, of focus appearing now in verse 16, when you fast. So that's why I would use the term expectation which comes short of command, but a clear expectation that the followers of Jesus are, in fact, going to fast. One author uh, refers to this grouping as a trio of spiritual disciplines. And, you know, I was actually thinking through this over the last couple of weeks, and I'm so thankful for Gospel Hope's discipline and giving. 
you are a generous congregation. Matt uh, shared with you a couple of weeks ago kind of the year-end financial report. Praise God for what's happened. Praise God for your generosity to the Deacons Fund and watching the, the, the benevolence fund uh, that the Deacons use to serve families and individuals here just grow over the last year. To be able to meet real needs in a real time. I think we do an outstanding job of giving. I think we do an admirable job of praying. We're all working at it. And some of you are just beginning that process of learning to pray. Others of you have been, in at, been at it for a long time. And, and we enjoy times of prayer as a church family. We enjoy times of prayer in ladies' Bible study and men's meetups and community groups that meet. Uh, they'll meet in the coming week. Some of you get together with friends just for times of prayer. It spontaneously breaks out, and I think we do a, a really great job. But I'm uncertain with regard to fasting. And I think if we took a survey, we might find that a lot of us would go, well, it's not a regular part of what I do. I think it's time that we consider that. So I don't know where you are with regard to this practice of fasting, but I'm hopeful that even in these few verses that our Lord has given us, you will see some powerful incentives. And you will see a, a grand opportunity that the Lord puts before us. I, I, in all honesty, I think my own practice of this can hardly be described as a regular discipline. And even up until recent uh, weeks, months, I would say it's sometimes, most often, been an exercise in frustration. I'll share a little bit more about that with you, but I think God is trying to grow me personally, and I think he wants to grow us even as a church. So I, I'm right there with many of you who would say, uh, this is not an area of great strength for me. But you know what? Uh, I've used this analogy before, but I'm reminded again, and uh, even during the worship team rehearsal this morning, there were some children of worship team members who were, who were kind of toddling around the platform here. And I just sat and watched one of them in particular go up and down the steps. And, and so, uh, so unsteady in many ways, yet determined. And for those of us who've been walking a long time, I mean, it doesn't seem like any big deal at all just to pick up one foot, hit that step, and go on up. But, but he was concentrating with all energy and, and then even saw those cords over there. And that seemed like a little bit of an obstacle. And I just sat and watched him for a moment intentionally take a step and you know what we we thrill to see little people take steps even though they may be faltering even though they may feel uncertain even though they may even say to themselves this is not working out like I thought it would in time it will so beloved I'm going to appeal to you at the end of this service even as the Lord's been appealing to me just determined to take that next step for some of you, that'll be the very first step ever. And some of you who may have abandoned hope a while back may say, I'm, I gotta try again. And maybe there are others of you who say, oh, it's, it's already a regular part of my, my Christian discipleship. Great, then please share with the rest of us uh, the wisdom that you've learned and the blessings that you have found. So let's be willing to learn and grow. And while there are no specifics placed before us as to frequency or method, there does seem to be an assumption an expectation that disciples will do this. Number two, it's clear if you go back and, and study both the Old and the New Testaments where fasting is mentioned and stories are told, uh, it is an expression of devotion. It can be an expression of individual devotion. It can also be an expression of corporate 
devotion. There are whole groups of people, nations even, cities, where a, a, a nationwide or citywide fast is called. And so people uh, see a great need. And there are, uh, generally speaking, exceptional circumstances that prompt people to fast. I have 13 examples, and I'm not gonna you know, speak or elaborate on each of these, but I just wanna show you the, uh, the variety of occasions that people were living through that moved them to, to fast. One of the first that you find in the Old Testament is Hannah, who pleads for a child, and, and her childlessness is such a burden, and remember, her husband actually has two wives, which is a problem in and of itself, and the other wife actually mocks her for her childlessness, and she fasts and prays, and God gives her not just a son, but an extraordinary man of faith, Samuel. Then you find David actually fasting multiple times, and let me just give you a quick sampling of, of his fasting. Uh, he fasts as an act of sorrow following the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. He fasts while interceding for the life of the child that he and Bathsheba conceived in sin. He fasts, uh, this is an interesting one in Psalm 35, 12 through 14. He actually describes how he fasts for his enemies who are sick. Think about that. Then you come to a story in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, where Jehoshaphat, king of Israel at that time, proclaims a national fast because there is a real threat from an adversary uh, nation. Uh, Nineveh, as Jonah, the reluctant prophet, says, you know, in 40 days you'll be overthrown. Well, the the king of Nineveh calls a citywide fast. Um, It's a fast of repentance. Esther fasts when she is gonna go before the king because her people are gonna be put to death and she not only needs the favor of the earthly king uh, to whom she is married, but she uh, needs God's favor ultimately. Ezra calls for uh, a fast along with the exiles. They humble themselves and seek God's favor before they attempt a return to Jerusalem and rebuilding the city. They need God's safety, they need God's provision. Nehemiah fasts as a sign of humbling over the distressing news that the building program has stopped and really the honor of God himself seems to be lying in the, in the dust. And so in sorrow over this calamity and even sorrow over sin that lies behind it, Nehemiah fasts and humbles himself. Daniel fasts for three weeks in response to a powerful insight God had given him. You know, he was reading the book of Jeremiah and he begins to see some specific references to how long the exile will last. He does the math and realizes they are really close to the end of those years of exiles, uh, of exile, and it puts him on his face, and he refuses to eat for a period of time until God sends an angelic messenger with, an angel- with a divine message. Then you come to the New Testament, and you see that Anna is a woman who fasts just in personal devotion. She's devoted herself to serving the Lord and worshiping him. And Luke 2.37 describes that sweet uh, relationship she expresses through fasting. Paul fasts after encountering Christ in Acts 9 and verse 9. And then the church leadership at Antioch fast in order to discern the Lord's will. Who from among them should be sent out as missionaries and it's a little bit of a surprise to them that Paul, or, or that the Spirit of God identifies Paul and Barnabas, 
people that they loved and depended on and had come to rely on for the health and strength of their own church. But after fasting and praying, the Lord says, those are the men that I want. And Paul and Barnabas themselves uh, fast as part of the appointment of elders in the cities where they have been planting and establishing churches. And there are actually many other examples. Fasting seems to be often, as one author writes, in connection with the confessions of sin or to lay some special petition before the Lord, sometimes out of anguish, sometimes out of danger, sometimes out of desperation. But there is often a need underneath it and behind it, and it becomes a powerful means of expressing our devotion and dependence, I could add, upon the Lord. Now go back to Matthew 6 with me. Because Jesus gives us a a caution. And he actually says, if you look again at the text, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. That's just like an old-time form of selfies. They didn't have selfie sticks, per se, but they knew where to find public attention. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. It's kind of sad, isn't it? You get all that trouble, you give up some really good food, give up some really good drink, and at the end of the day, the reward you have is that somebody else saw you. Oh, wow. What a satisfying day. No, what an empty day. What an empty practice. And so the Lord is clearly warning us, you don't do this for show. I mean, this is not about populating your social media feed so people go, wow, what a pious person Danny is. It's not for show. The hypocrites want to be seen by others. The Lord said in some old, through some of the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, though they fast, I will not hear their cry. Their motive is wrong. The perspective is wrong. In Isaiah 58, God actually confronts the hypocrisy of ritual fasting. The people were very faithful in observing seasons of fasting, and they could even point back to some of Moses' writings and say, well, there it is, it's commanded, but God is saying, but your heart's in the wrong place. And you, you neglect the greater commandments that I've given to you. All of that, one historian notes, developed into a rabbinic tradition in which fasting was viewed as meritorious and therefore became the primary act of demonstrating piety. So it began with a sense of like, well, God's going to like me more if I do this, and while I'm at it, I might as well get a few other people to, you know, like me as well. It's not for show. And that brings me actually to the second point. It's not to be more righteous, whether before God or before others. Now, it can be an expression of sincere devotion where you just say, Lord, I, I long for you. We sang as the deer. That's an old song. I, I, that's another one. I was surprised. Andrew and I were playing in the service this week. That was not in the Gospel Hope repertoire. And I'm like, how can the as the deer not be in, on our song list? So we put it in. But that's based on a psalm that likens the thirst of the human soul to what a deer experiences when they're in a desert place. There's a powerful thirst that begins to develop. So we're not not talking about that kind of longing to be in the presence of God or even to be more diligent in pursuing relationship with Him. But you don't increase your status of righteous or your standing of righteousness before God by fasting. And you don't actually gain uh, any ground human to human. Like, we're not in a competition here, beloved. We, we don't gather today where we kind of like assess and like, 
you know, check each other out and you know, gauge and measure spirituality and rank ourselves. That, that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of the gospel. It is interesting to look at early church history and how some of this just began to develop. If you were to go back and, and consult one of the first books that uh, was put together in the, really the first 100 to 200 years after Christ, it's called the, the Didache, which the full title is The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Um, and one of my really helpful commentary uh, commentator, Leon Morris, uh, pulled a little interesting point out of the Didache and, and writes how easy it is for a wrong attitude to fasting, for fasting to invade Christianity is to be seen in the Didache, early years after Christ. It instructs believers... Let not your fasts be with the hypocrites. And we go, that's good, that's consistent with Scripture. But then listen to this. For they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but do your fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. What? Like, like God is really concerned about the schedule now? Somebody's starting to miss something there. And maybe some, it probably was well-intentioned. They, they just don't even want to be associated with that kind of godless hypocrisy. We can kind of understand that. But at the same point, like, why even say these are the two days? Not those two, but these two. You, you can see how it begins to just morph into a kind of a man-made, man-centered practice. We don't fast to be more righteous. Now go back to Matthew 6, though, and look at verse 17. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, quick note, I don't think this means that those who called for citywide fasts or national fasts were in sin because they invited other people into it. I think there's a legitimate place for that. You can see what Jesus is focusing on. And again, in the context, he said identical things related to our giving and identical things related to our praying. And he's, been, he's really talking about the individual devotional life of a follower of Jesus. But just because he said a few verses earlier, pray in secret, that doesn't mean we should never have a church-wide prayer meeting again. It doesn't mean that you should never invite a friend or family member to pray with you. Likewise, I, and I'm going to touch on this at the, at the conclusion here in just a few minutes, I think there are times where we would actually call people to partner with us in a fast. But notice, I think this is central. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, those are the same words that he tied to our giving and our praying back in verses three and four and then five and six. The Lord in his kindness and wisdom incentivizes this practice, if you will. Now, again, he doesn't fill in the details, but he just says in so many words, I'm actually obligating myself to do something for you. I'm gonna reward you. And we begin to say, well, what, what kind of rewards might we expect? Well, that's where you just go back to that list of 13 uh, examples of fasting, and you begin to note some things that happened. And there are some examples where the people didn't get the thing they were fasting for. David didn't get the life of that child that he and Bathsheba had conceived. But he got an answer from God, and he was content with that. Hannah received a, ch- a son. David did receive comfort as he sorrowed Saul and Jonathan, Daniel received 
the message and the messenger from God. Esther received an audience with the king and the rescue of her people. Ezra and Nehemiah saw direct answers to prayer, the blessing of God as he protected them on the journey and in the construction project, the provision of all the resources that they needed. There are real rewards coming to these people in part because they were fasting and praying. And I think we should expect a variety of rewards. I don't know what form it would take for you, but our Father is good and generous. He's wise and loving. And whatever He gives to you will be great. And whatever He withholds from you is also great. We should expect a variety of rewards. You begin to think of the great concerns that, that rest in your heart this morning. Even now, if it's appropriate, if you have a, I see some of these teens here in the front row with Bibles and journals open. That blesses my heart. That, that is terrific. And I know others of you take notes, but just even while I'm preaching, you can begin to just formulate a little list of great concerns. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's the restoration of a broken relationship or marriage. Maybe it's rescue from a financial calamity. Maybe it's the answer to a dilemma or difficult situation you face at the moment. Maybe it's the miraculous healing of a sick or diseased loved one. Maybe it's the provision of hundreds of thousands of dollars for a building project that we're committed to. Maybe it's a great awakening in the state of Utah a place that's never seen a great awakening. I suspect if we just pause for three minutes and just begin to talk out loud, we could populate a list of really significant needs that would be dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of items along. I've shared with you uh, on a number of occasions a book that's been really helpful. I started reading this shortly after the new year began and completed it a couple of weeks ago. It's very accessible and just powerful. We've included quotations in some of the weekly emails, but Andrew Murray wrote this work along many others. Anything he's written on prayer, you should, you should try to read, if not own outright and add to your library. But I found this challenging and inspiring. Murray, who was a man of great prayer and saw God use his life and ministry in extraordinary ways in his day, wrote, if the life is not one of self-denial, of fasting, and look at how he defines fasting, letting the world go, and of prayer, laying hold of heaven. Faith cannot be exercised. In a life lived according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, we find the origin of the prayerlessness of which we complain. That's part of what convicted me. It's easy to complain about your personal prayerlessness or to complain about the prayerlessness of your spouse or your family or your church or your community group. <coughs> it's easy to pray, complain about the prayerlessness of, of, of the nation we love, but in reality, what, what lies at the root of that? It may be because we're too intent on holding on to the world and because our hands are so full of the world, as it were, we have nothing, no place left for laying hold of heaven. Is there something even now that the Spirit of God brings to mind where he gently and graciously says to you, would you give that up in order to seek me? And he may not be asking you, probably is not asking you to give it up forever, although I hope you would be willing if he came to you in that way.
So maybe it would be a meal, just one meal each week. Maybe it would be a day of fasting each week or once a month you would say that. Let's just talk very briefly about some practical suggestions. Where do you begin? Because the Bible, again, doesn't spell it out. You know what? If it did, we would just make that another, uh, another bat of legalism and beat each other up with it. Well, the fat, you know, biblical fasting has seven steps. No more, no less. <coughs> well, the Lord really doesn't spell it out that clearly. So I'm drawing on what others have suggested and even drawing on some of my limited experience. But as a, as a practical suggestion, I, I want to say take a step. What is the next step for you? It may be you say, I've never fasted before but I'm willing to try. Then I would suggest you, you fast from one meal. That's a small step. And by the way, let, let me just interject. There are some of you who have real medical uh, priorities and concerns. You, you should not start a fast until you have consulted with your doctor. I actually read an article this week where some dear soul who apparently was devoted to Jesus but wanted to do a 40-day fa- fast like Moses and Jesus did he died from it. That does not honor the Lord. I, I hurt to read that. God does not want you to put yourself in a medical crisis to, to do something like this. So take a step. Then make a plan. As I look back, I think times where I've felt like it just wasn't successful was due in part to the fact that I, I just wasn't smart enough or disciplined enough on the front side to go, well, here's how it's gonna happen. You say, what do you mean make a plan? Well, some simple questions. Let's begin with the who. Is is it something you will do alone or would you do with others? And then you begin to say, well, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna fast from a meal? Maybe I'm gonna fast from uh, media, social media in the coming week. Maybe I'm gonna fast from all entertainment. I'm not gonna watch uh, stream anything. I'm not gonna go to the theater to watch a movie, but I'm I'm gonna give up. Uh, even God-honoring forms of entertainment, which, by the way, if they're sinful forms, like, that's not a fast to give that up. That's called repentance. <laughs> that's another category. There might even be aspects of relationship. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about married couples foregoing physical intimacy because they're going to devote themselves to an urgent matter of prayer. So you see, fasting can be broader. Then you begin to think, well, When? Very practically. Um, Are you going to do this for a morning? Maybe you fast through breakfast, or maybe you fast through lunch, or maybe you're going to set aside a day. And, you know, for the encouragement of some of you who are out here, you're like, I I will starve. I I just just can't even fathom this. Well, there are examples, uh, and, and it's mostly from church history. It's not clearly spelled out, again, like commanded in Scripture, but fasting was often from sunrise to sunset. Well, that gives you a little hope. Don't abuse it. You know, some of you would like, if I get up before dawn, then I can eat a big power breakfast and, you know, like survive till supper. No, it's part of how you make a plan. Um, so then you, you decide when. Uh, number four, then begin to think in terms of why am I doing this? And that's, that's where you take time, I think, to list the deep concerns of your soul. There may be one thing that you're gonna fast and pray over. That was Hannah's point. Actually, many of those Uh, people through the scriptures had one uh, predominant thought, one particular need that they were just totally engaged with. But list the deep concerns of your soul. 
and they may be of a personal nature, it may be kind of a kingdom mission focus, um, but take time to list that out. And this is all in advance. This is part of how you prepare. Uh, so the salvation of a loved one, the restoration of a broken relationship, physical healing, uh, a great awakening for Utah. I mentioned that again. Some of you have been tracking, as I have, the reports coming out of Asbury College in Kentucky. You know, is it, and the big question is, is it real revival? Is it real awakening? Something's going on there. The marks of a true awakening and revival are only born out over time. That, that's the nature of the spiritual life. So we wait to see the fruit. But we can still rejoice in the initial report. So I don't know, but whatever, whatever good work God might be doing, whether it's there in other places of the world, Lord, spread it. We can all pray and long for that and fast for it. So take time to list out. And then let's talk very practically about the how. So how would you fast through a meal? If you've never done this before, well, prepare in advance. And let me just encourage you, if you say, you know what, I'm gonna fast through lunch tomorrow then I would encourage you, go find at least a psalm or maybe some of the psalms and have them lined up ready to read. I found it useful to find passages like the Gospels. Um, they, they really nourish my faith. Uh, as you might expect, we've been doing quite a bit of praying uh, with respect to Kristen's physical needs of late and even on a day of fasting uh, and prayer for her healing. I found uh, Matthew 8 and 9 powerful chapters because it's just one healing after another and you see the compassion of Jesus, and you see the power of Jesus, and you see a variety of needs that are brought to him, and there's not one person he turns away. And so you find yourself reading through a powerful portion of scripture. It's easy to pray out of that. So that's, why, that, that's what's, uh, again, in, uh, captured here when I say find, find the scriptures, and then again, you prepare your list of requests. Then set up a schedule. This has been really helpful for me rather than just a generic, I'm gonna fast through lunch. I mean, I find it helpful to even break it down into little segments of time. Well, I'm gonna take the first uh, 10 minutes of my lunch break, you know, just to praise God. And, and I found Psalm 47 a few weeks ago really uh, a blessing. So I, I just put that down as an example. And then I told you about reading Matthew 8 and 9. I'm gonna read through that. And, and as you're reading, you, you're probably gonna be praying as well. But then I'm gonna pray specifically for the request or the request for a certain period of time. And then I'm gonna come back to the word of God. And Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is just one of those glorious passages where God just basically says, do you know how much I love you? Let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you how blessed you are in Jesus. Let me tell you how you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you all that I've done even before you were born, before the foundation of the world to, 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 to choose you for salvation and holiness and righteousness. And the focus is on him. And you cannot read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 without just your heart singing. And then you say, well, you know, I only have an hour lunch break, so about 12.45, I should probably wrap it up, and I'm gonna spend time just thanking God for who he is, for hearing my prayers. So that, that's a suggestion for you. Now, some of you say, you know, I've done some of that before, but maybe God wants me to fast through a day. I would recommend that you fast um, through breakfast and lunch. I mean, you can go longer if, if you've got a little more experience, but fasting through a day, Again, begins with preparing the day before, some of the same things I just shared before. But you need to build into that day. And, and I would encourage you to consider fasting for a day when you don't have to do even the regular work. N nothing wrong with that. But what I have in mind is like you've set aside this day for fasting. So you're not you know, doing a breakfast fast and lunch fast and then doing all your other work and you know, taking care of all those responsibilities. And for some of you, it just won't work right now. I'm, I'm hearing like 
moms of young children speaking into my ear after the service saying, oh, Pastor Danny, I wish I could do that, but you don't know what it's like with all these kids. We actually kind of do, my wife more than I would, but these are suggestions. But as you map out your day, you can actually employ a number of things that will feed your soul and fuel the fires of devotion and take you into a really intimate experience with God. And I've just put down a sampling of those kinds of things. Obviously, you wanna be in the word. I think reading your Bible through a day of fasting and prayer is essential. You need to be praising God. And yes, actually sing. And I know some of you say, I have a terrible voice. Then you should probably do this alone uh, (laughs) so you won't be a distraction to anybody else. But you should still sing out your praise uh, to God. You should include a time of confession. Uh, and then you, you do the hard work of intercession and petition. You can include a prayer walk. I find it helpful to be active physically. Like to just, and, and for, I think, I don't even think God has it in mind where you would just like lock yourself in one little room, you know, for 12 hours, you know, turn out the lights and, and be immobile for the whole day. I just don't know that that's reasonable. But why couldn't you get out and walk around your neighborhood? Pray for your neighbors. Pray for their particular needs. Pray while you're moving. I do think it's helpful to pray with others. Uh, Kristen and I enjoyed a really sweet day several weeks ago, and we didn't spend the whole day together praying and reading the Bible, but we had certain uh, moments where we'd come together. I even called up uh, one of my sisters and brother-in-law and said, hey, would you guys be free you know, to pray with us at a certain time, and then called some other friends. Uh, so at the very end of the day, we actually had, you know, a little phone conference uh, with, with another couple that we know and knows our situation, has been praying with us, and, and they, were, they were thrilled. I was, you know, like, they're busy, like, should I ask them? But they were, they were so kind and so supportive of that. It was a great way to finish the day. Um, devotional reading, there are good books that are available uh, to you. Um, biographies, uh, the ladies are using Gentle and Lowly. I've suggested to you Living a, a, a Prayerful Life by Andrew Murray. I think there are all kinds of things that you can do. And then I do want you to look at this last point because I think this is actually the heart of God. Then break the fast with good food, fellowship if you can you know, and set that up and enjoy it with other people, but joy. Because God's not honored by starvation. That's not the point of fasting. The point is you're saying the Lord there's, there's something so urgent or some desire in my heart that's so great that for this little brief window, I'm gonna lay aside ordinary stuff. I'm gonna lay aside food or drink or social media or entertainment or even some of the normal uh, relationship responsibilities and opportunities I have because I, I wanna seek you or we want to seek you. And then after you do that, you sit down at the table and you say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Time to eat. Now here's the last thought. If we each began to take a step, what rewards might we see? Because God the Father is the one who promised that, right? When you fast, don't do it to be seen. Wash your face. Seek me. You know, not for show, but just seek me. I will reward you. But what rewards might we see? And I put up the map of of Utah, and you can see there's that little red space down there uh, at the bottom of the map. That's Riverton. That's right where we are. What might we see? Would we see children born? Would we see people converted? Would we see people comforted? Would we see people healed? Would we see a building constructed for cash? 
I don't think there's a limit to this. Because again, when you survey the stories and the personal needs from Old Testament to New, there there are a variety of things that emerge. Would we see God call right out of this assembly missionaries, a new set, a new partnership like Paul and Barnabas to carry the gospel where it has not been proclaimed? I mean, could could we even envision a scenario where one of these 140 cities and little towns that are, are, are in Utah right now with no gospel witness, is it possible that God would plant a church, plant a pastoral team, appoint elders in some of those very cities just because we said, Lord, I'll take a step. We will take a step. In the coming weeks, we're, we're actually gonna try to put out through the weekly email or maybe remind you on Sundays, a particular point of prayer and fasting focus. And, and this is not gonna be a legalistic thing. We're not gonna check up on you and find out, did you? There's, again, there's no chart here you know, where we put gold stars for the really good members of Gospel Hope when they do the right stuff. But we, just, we feel like we need to encourage this. And we want to encourage you, even as we're seeking to be encouraged in this as well. God has done so many great things here. But how many more great things will he do as we continue to seek him? Lord, teach us to pray. Pray with me. Oh, Father, that you would reward us so graciously and generously for things that we ought to do, whether they are rewarded or not, just speaks of how kind and generous you are. And there are many great needs at this moment some of a deeply spiritual nature and oh how we pray that you would hear our cries for the salvation of family and friends. We plead with you for an awakening in this state to moment in time in history where many nations rage against you and people imagine all kinds of vain things. Lord Jesus, your return is imminent and if you were to return at this moment, billions of souls from what we can measure according to your word would be lost, would perish. That thought is unbearable. We pray that you would hear our cries. We pray that you would bring comfort and strength, wisdom, healing, peace and calm. That you would provide the physical and even financial needs that some are are desperately looking to you to meet. Lord, there are a thousand needs in this room in a moment, but all all of them are met in you. So as we learn to follow you, and as we learn to pray, as we learn to give, teach us also to fast in a way that honors you, in a way that brings blessing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.